last week we we looked at uh, the first dozen verses of chapter 4 in the book of Acts. So if you have a Bible with you, you can turn there uh, to the fourth chapter. We're going to pick it up at verse 13 uh, this morning. Um, and probably the the heartbeat of the fourth chapter is in verse 12, where it says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Amen. And that's, that's a pretty uh, straightforward, uh, in-your-face statement. And we talked about the inclusive exclusivity of the gospel, how that uh, the message of the gospel of Christ simply declares that truth that Jesus Christ is the only way to get to God. Uh, when we were driving up uh, last week, uh, my wife said, oh, there's a bull uh, billboard, uh, the billboard out there, and it talked about uh, Jesus is the, is the only way. And I didn't spot it. Well, this, way, this week when we camped, she, she pointed out in enough time for me to take a look at it without running into anything or anybody in the way. Um, and it, it was simply that. Jesus is the only way to God. And it had John 14, 6 on the, as a reference point. Uh, and, and that may not make some folks happy who feel that they have the way to God. But I would simply say that uh, if you're going to live by the book, then you got to take what the book says. And if you if you don't want to live by the book, that's up that's that's up to you. You know, no one's going to twist your arm, or we're not going to hold a, a sword to your neck and, and treat you as an infidel. If you don't accept Jesus, then we're going to chop your head off. There are some places that that could be the opposite effect uh, if you were on the receiving end of the sword. But we don't do that. But there is every reason to believe in the credibility of this word, uh, its integrity, its its it, all that it has in terms of rule guideline, rule guide for life and and health, life eternal is is held in that book. And so that's where we go. We we hear to that. And if the Bible says that uh, there is salvation in no one else, then if you don't like that. You take it up with the author. Um, you know, I'm, I'm just here to declare that word. Um, I woke up this morning about 1.30. I love these times. Uh, it's the thing I look forward to is waking up in the middle of the night. I woke up at 1.30 and, and Jonah was on my mind. I'm, I'm in front, uh, first Sunday of November, I'm, pre, uh, pre, I'm speaking at a men's retreat. And have kind of been brought back around on the, the story of Jonah and uh, its application, a practical application. So for some reason, I keep waking up with this Jonah story on my mind. So I got up and I read a little bit more about Jonah and read the book. And, and uh, it, it, it's, 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 it's his word that, that says this is what happened in the the scriptures say Jonah was swallowed by a great fish, then I have to believe that there's truth in that. Someone said, if it's in the Word of God, and it said that Jonah swallowed the great fish, I'd believe that. And I don't know about that one, but that's that's kind of an 
it's a little bit different way, but that Jonah was swallowed by a great fish is, is part of the story. So I don't know where that came from in terms of 1.30 in the morning wake-up call, but uh, I eventually did go back to sleep, and uh, so I'm relatively alert here today. Okay, so we're going to look today, uh, beginning of verse 13, after its declaration of verse 12. And this is the beginning when, you, when we talk about uh, issues in Egypt in terms of persecution, things are going to start to ramp up and things are going to get uh, a little more heavy for the followers of Christ as they move along in, in the journey um, and bring the, the presence and power of Jesus by his Holy Spirit to the audience that's there. Verse 13. When they, which would be the religious leaders, uh, whatever the group made up of priests, high priests, Sadducees, Pharisees, rulers, whatever, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everybody living in Jerusalem knows they have done an outstanding miracle, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Now, the man that had been healed was what you call the lame man. He went to this beautiful gate. That's Acts chapter 3. And while he is there, Peter and John come through. They make this wonderful statement. Um, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ and Nazareth. Rise up. I don't think they sang it, you know, but that's the song that we've been walking and leaping and praising God, and that's as close to a leap as you're going to get. Um, so so here, here's the, the story. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. The man gets up and walk, 40-year-old guy, and uh, without question has an amazing impact on the audience around them, religious leaders and the people at large. Once they uh, deal with this problem person or these problem guys, Peter and John, they think they're going to be fine. They're going to be able to move ahead and get things back to normal. But God has a way of upsetting the, the apple cart uh, of sorts in terms of reordering the lives of people. And so Jesus becomes front and center focus for them. And he and and when when uh, when Peter responds back in the fourth chapter, he he really puts that very clearly when he says he is the one uh, in whom salvation is found. No one, no one else. 
under heaven, no other name given to men by which we must be saved. So when we move to this particular portion of scripture, there's something that seems to be apparent to the religious leaders in the process. Um, in the first 12 verses of the fourth chapter, Peter and John have already spent one night in jail on just because it was the determination of the religious leaders to put them in jail, to hold them for a night. Uh, don't worry about violation of rights. That's just, that just what happened. So having spent one night in jail already, they were likely prepared for some of the same or even worse, and the response of the leaders shows a difference that they observed in these Christ followers, and I'm calling it today the Jesus difference. What was the difference that being with Jesus made, as it's put that at the end of verse 13, they took note that these men had been with Jesus. In a very natural way of understanding that verse, you can simply say it was guilt by association. You can say that these were disciples of Jesus. They had been following him. It was, it was it, it, in, in its most natural way, it's just that Jesus had had a ministry and these guys were part of his disciple group and he was, they were with him. But there's something else that we can usually go to quite readily in terms of the difference that Jesus makes when we are with him, when we spend time with him, when we follow him, when we are all in. And there are several qualities or differences that are made when we talk about the difference that Jesus makes in our life. So let me look at a couple of them. First of them is this. The Jesus difference provided an unexplainable courage, an unexplainable courage. Verse 13 starts that way. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, um, someone has said that a crisis never made a man. It only reveals what he already is. A crisis never made a man. It only shows what's inside. And the things that we uh, that come our way don't always make us something. They show what is inside of us, and we're able to respond. All that Peter and John were, were about is essentially captured in 1 Peter 3, verse 15, where it says they were ready to give an answer for the hope that was in them. And that's a, that's a, a call in that particular verse. Always be ready to do that. Always be ready to give that answer for the hope that is within them. And that's all that Peter and John were doing. When they were going to the temple to pray, they were just ready to share what they had seen and heard. We'll come to that phrase in a few moments. So how do you explain the courage that these guys had that is able to stand up against the opposition that comes against them? And there is only one answer, and that was the phrase they had been with Jesus. I don't know what kind of opposition you may face in your setting. Maybe things are nice and smooth. Maybe, maybe, it's, maybe it's not... Troubled waters. Maybe it's smooth waters for you. Maybe you can sail along and there's no opposition. Nobody hassles you if you get too too excited about Jesus. Maybe for for you, uh, you know, there's little opposition. Maybe you face no antagonism from family that are running a different direction or going a different direction. Maybe they let you. Maybe they tolerate you. Sometimes I feel like that uh, from my family. Siblings, relatives, whatever. They, sometimes they tolerate you. 
They, they don't want to buy into what you believe, but they, they, you know, they, okay, you can do your thing. Just don't get too crazy on us. And so sometimes opposition can come from a variety of ways. It can be passive-aggressive behavior. It can be people that just kind of just kind of keep trying to push you down and keep you back and slow you down. And so as long as you don't get too excited about Jesus, then, then you're okay. But you know, I'll put it this way. It's a dangerous thing to be around Jesus. It's a dangerous thing to be around Jesus and not be with Jesus. Now, let me, let me explain that. There's a difference between being around Jesus and being with Jesus. There's a difference between being around Christians and being with Jesus. There's a difference between being around Christian events and being with Jesus. There's a difference between being around the church and being with Jesus. It is possible for people to be lost in the church. It's, it's possible. You could go to church and do your religious thing, and it, it, it doesn't affect you, and you can walk into a church lost, and you can walk out of a church lost. Um, there's nothing magic about the place. We, we live in a day in which it's a very popular thing to do, Christian concerts or Christian events kind of thing. And they draw crowds of people who like to go for the event. And they get their religious high or fix at that event. But sometimes it never translates down into actionable living that's practical and reflects the value of God's word. Um, it was more than just knowledge. It was more than a few prayers. It was more than religion as a hobby. It was something that produced a dynamic power that transformed ordinary men into bold witnesses for Christ. That's the difference. That's the Jesus difference. Yet it had nothing to do with their degree of education or even a seminary education. The Jesus difference makes all the difference. And, 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 and there comes a point in the journey of any person in their life where they need to determine, am I going to follow Jesus? Am I going to be with Jesus? It's interesting that in the Gospels, when Jesus calls his disciples, there are two phrases that he uses. And the scriptures say, Jesus called them that they might be with him and that he might send them forth. Both those pieces are important, that he might be that they might be with him and that he might send them forth. And uh, I, I would argue that un unless we get the first part right, we don't really have an effective second part. Uh, unless we learn what it means to be with Jesus and let him have impact and influence in our life, control of our life by the Spirit of God, then we really won't be all that effective. We can be doing a lot of good things, but it may not be the optimum kind of situation. In Job 23 and verse 10, it says this, He knows the way that I take. When he has tried me, I will come forth as gold. He knows the path or the way that I take when he has tried me. Whenever the early church faced opposition, it was, it was kind of like a refiner's fire. 
And, and on the early end of that chapter 3, chapter 4, into chapter 5, and then you run into a whole bunch of other situations, it, it just the heat started to pick up a little bit. It was, wasn't, wasn't intense. They weren't threatened with a sword initially, but they were sweating. They were threatened. Yeah, they were threatened verbally to try to put the lid on these these guys. That did, that did work, obviously. But one of the questions that I have to ask myself, and I suppose we do uh, as well, is: Can people say that you have been with Jesus? Can people say that? Do they do they notice the difference that? exists in you. A number of years ago, there was a dear fellow, uh, name was John Bershey, and he had an evangelistic ministry, primarily a, a ministry to home and family kind of thing. And he'd bring him into the church and have special meetings. He would talk about the importance of family roots and values and right models and marriage and all kind of things. I remember a poem that he quoted, and he used uh, a couple times uh, and and uh, I found I came across it the other day again, and it was attributed to a person whose last name was Clel was Cleland. But here's here's how the line here's how the line goes. He says, "For me, twas not the truth you taught, to you so clear, to me so dim. But when you came to me, you brought a deeper sense of Him." One more time. For me, it was not the truth you taught, to you so clear, to me so dim. But when you came to me, you brought a deeper sense of him. Is there something about us that, that is almost a, 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 a sensed presence, a sensed peace that comes from the indwelling of the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus in me, that becomes so obvious or visible, if you will, that people sense that. In the Old Testament, when the Israelites were being led by Moses, Moses would go to spend time with God in his tent called the tabernacle. And when he would come out, his face would be glowing, Exodus 34. You could tell that Moses had spent time with God. <laughs> He glowed in the dark. I guess I, I don't know how to describe it. But the question is, can people see the glow from your time spent with Jesus? If you ever walk into a room or run into somebody and you can sense that they're angry, they sense that they're anxious, they're sense you sense that they're irritated, you sense that they're a little unnerved or confused, yeah, those things happen for a variety of reasons. Have you ever been in the presence of someone that seems like everything else around can be falling apart, but they seem to be okay? They seem to be at peace with them. I think it's the Jesus difference, and that is the difference that provided an unexplainable courage. There's another descriptive word that the Jesus difference makes, and that is the Jesus difference provides an undeniable power. Verse 14, since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. Here 
is the power of a changed life. Sometimes it can become a very powerful part of an argument for the difference that God can make by his power in the life of a person. He was the man in this story who preached with his feet. Now, we normally preach or speak, we use our mouth. The lame man preached with his feet, I guess would be one way to describe it. There was a significant difference, a, a, a measurable, a visible difference in terms of that power that was demonstrated. William Barclay is a British commentator, writer, and he makes this comment. He says, the most unanswerable defense of Christianity is a Christian man. In other words, the difference that Jesus makes in a person. I was reading about one evangelist that it was in the early days of, of, the, of our, our own nation. When he would go to an area, he would ask God for someone, uh, a, a, and I can't remember the phrase how he used it. It was something like a, a supernatural work of God in the life of a person, someone in the community. And sometimes it would even be, he would, he would pray, who is the worst guy in your community? Who is the toughest nut to crack? And he would get that information and it would somehow, if, if, if in God's power, he, he would result in change. It became, it became obvious and it became proof of the power of God. That's the kind of thing that was going on here, this undeniable power. H.G. Wells, another writer, says, The trouble with so many people is that the voice of their neighbor sounds louder in their ears than the voice of God. The voice of neighbors is, sounds louder in their ears than the voice of God. The power of God to change a person's life is the difference that Jesus could make. Not only gives us courage, but gives us power. Power with God, power with men. And both, both of those directions are to be a, a part of the whole process. So th that, was all, that was all a part of it. It's interesting to me in verse 13, where, where the, the, the view of the religious leaders, they took note that they were unschooled, ordinary men. Now, we don't pick up from just those language of it what, what was really intended. They were looking down, the religious leaders were looking down their righteous nose, their self-righteous nose in some cases, at these people because they weren't as educated as they were. They weren't as pedigreed as they were. They weren't among the religious who's who in Jerusalem or wherever. These people were looking down their nose, and, they, and the thing they noticed was that they were unschooled, ordinary men. It doesn't mean they were uneducated. It means that they didn't have the formal, it didn't mean they were illiterate. It means that they may not have had the formal education or training, but they were ordinary men. They were just ordinary people. Um, Never forget that God has a way of turning the ordinary into extraordinary by the power of his spirit. He can take an ordinary man or woman and do a change in their heart and life that results in a difference that can be made. I was thinking about this the other day when I was reflecting back to the time when in my journey uh, I came to a place where I recognized my need to accept Jesus Christ as my personal savior. I was 15 years old. Friends of mine that I had gone to church with, an older older couple, they were older to me because they were probably could have been my parents, maybe a big brother uh, and, and his wife, 
took an interest in me, and they and they we, we went to a Lake Erie, Lake Erie Bible Conference uh, for several Sunday nights or several nights during the week, and when they had a Bible conference thing going on. And one night on the way back from from that, uh, I, I rode in the back seat of this little Fiat. Now you, you understand, it's uh, the Fiat's like a pocketbook with wheels, essentially. You know, just you just you just park your butt in the back, and you, if if you want to be in close fellowship, you can put one other person in the back seat beside you. But if you're in the back, you get the whole seat. That's cool. But then these, you know, little little kind of thing. And uh, Ruben Hausiel, uh, the fellow, the guy, uh, was a big guy. He was a big guy. He bigger than anybody here. I'll put you. I'll put it that way. So he's, there's a lot to love of Ruben. Anyway, so um, so we're coming back to this Bible conference, and I was a pretty good kid, and I went to Sunday school, and I went to church. It was a small Bible church, but, but uh, I was still on the outside looking in, but I'd never made quite the connection yet. And so on the way back one night, we were talking about what had transpired in the service and that kind of thing. And he, he said to me, he said, Chuck, he said, I want to ask you a question. He said, have you ever come to the place in your life where you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? I, I, that, that, was simply, that was simply the way it was put to me. And I remember in times past, I could always dodge that question. I could get around it. I could say, well, I go to Sunday school or I go to church or I'm living a pretty good life and I'm not... Not, not that kind of stuff. But it was on that night, August 28, a number of years ago, when I no longer could dodge the question and had to face the difference that Jesus could make in my life. Then uh, the, 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 the car slowed down really slow on the way home. And he just... I. I'm sure it was a four-speed. I'm going to be a five-speed. I don't know. But I know it slowed down. And I know they were just not in a big hurry because we wanted to talk. We pulled up in our driveway and we continued to talk. And, uh, and, and at that point, I said, you know, I really do need to accept Jesus. And he made the difference. And I, th I was thinking about that in terms of the difference that Jesus made beginning then, what my life would have been like without him. And I, uh, you can imagine, envision all kinds of scenarios what that might have been like without Jesus. But thank God there was a Jesus difference that occurred in my life. And it was his power that is able to change a person. The Jesus difference also provided an unspeakable opportunity. And I love this particular part of the story, verses 15 to 18. They don't know what to do. The religious leaders don't know what to do with these guys. And so they, they, they send them out and they confer together, verse 15 says, and ask the question among themselves, what are we going to do with these guys? They asked. Everybody living in Jerusalem knows they have done an outstanding miracle. We can't deny it. But to stop them from spreading any further uh, among the people, we have to warn them not to speak, to speak no longer to anyone in this name. It's an amazing opportunity. We must warn them. These guys found themselves, we use the phrase, you're between a rock and a hard place. These guys found themselves between the rock and a hard place. They found themselves trying to get into and separate these men from Jesus, and it wasn't going to work. This particular whole portion here raises the issue of, uh, we sometimes call it civil disobedience. 
when we may hold a conviction, maybe it's based upon God's word, and it may differ from the rest of the fish that are swimming downstream. And you're trying to swim upstream because you're following Christ. It may make a difference. Uh, and uh, Jesus is the one that makes the difference. Um, I, I, it's interesting to me. One of the fundamental postures of a culture in which we live, the culture in which we live, is that there are those who do not believe the same way as I do. And, and sometimes they, they express it this way. They said, I don't want to believe what you believe. I, I don't want to believe that. Let me find reasons not to believe. And they get into arguments with you. And they get into smoke screen issues to try to get you off on a rabbit trail. And instead of simply saying, let me figure out how, how this belief business works. Sometimes you, you, they create opposition, they create attack, they, they undermine credibility, but with the intent to try to get off the issue of personal responsibility. I've got to deal with this myself. It's undeniable the difference that Jesus made in this lame guy that now is walking and leaping and praising God. 40 years old, now he's able to be gainfully employed instead of having to sit by the highway begging. There's a difference that Jesus makes, and it was an incredible opportunity that God gave to them. Whenever Jesus makes a difference in your life, he provides that opportunity, an opportunity for you to, to see or to say the things that you have seen and heard. That's language of one of the things down in verse 20. We cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And that's all that that's all that the Christian lifestyle is. It's, it's not necessarily how to figure out how to be smarter than somebody else. It's simply telling, it's, it, so, someone described it this way, evangelism is one beggar telling another beggar where to get food. It's simple. Oh, you don't have to have the, 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 the PhD and all of that, and that's fine. That's not, I'm not speaking against that. I'm saying all you got to do is say, here's what Jesus has done for me. This is the difference that he's made in my life. And let it be seen. And let the Holy Spirit of God take that truth and let it simply kind of hatch in the life of somebody else who's honestly looking and seeking and, and allow God to do the work of change that occurs. But the Jesus difference provides an unspeakable opportunity. There's one more thing from this portion of Scripture that I find that the Jesus, Jesus difference makes. And it results in and an unstoppable resolve, an unstoppable resolve. And so Peter and John essentially come down with this, with a one-liner uh, that, that is almost irre irrefutable. Uh, you know, I, what are you going to do but do with it? Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God, for we cannot help speak about what we have seen and heard. They understood that boldness and clarity of the message of the gospel come from spending time with Jesus. There's no, no, other, no other way, no other recourse, no other solution that they have. It gives them the backbone that they need. They recognize that those who benefit from wrongdoing and wrong thinking will usually turn a deaf ear and a blind eye to contrary evidence 
for what is right and what is true. That's true of these religious leaders. They tried to put the screws to them. They tried to ratchet it down and shut them up because it was going to be interfering with their world, their plan. They were the power brokers. These were the guys who were in charge. Everybody just kind of admired them and revered them, and in some cases feared them in terms of the power that they had, and they exert, exhorted, they exerted rather. And, and even, in, even in that, these religious leaders refused to believe that that Jesus that healed the, that lame man could do anything for them. They had enough. They had they had they had five dollars worth of God, and that's all they wanted. They didn't want to have their world turned any more upside down than that. One of the things that was part of this resolve is that Peter and John believed that Christ followers, people who bank their hopes on Jesus, spend time with Jesus, obey Jesus, should stand up in public and tell God's truth as they see it without worrying that listeners to the contrary may not agree with them or even their basic assumptions. Standing with Jesus was a thing that they were resolved to do. One, one person has put it this way, and I think we have it on the, yeah, on the bottom, yeah. He says, we are not called to win, we are called to witness. Um, sometimes we get that messed up. We think that our job is to try to twist enough arms or theologically be smart enough to convince somebody. And I, and I know there's the place for apologetics and, and providing that reason and hope. But, you know, we're simply called to bear, bear witness to the truth that Jesus has made a difference in our life. And let God do the work in, in someone else's life. Reuben and Carol Housel that were instrumental in my life long ago were, were simply trying to encourage me to give thought to the truth of the claims of Jesus. They didn't convert me. They couldn't convert me. All they were saying is that Jesus makes a difference in them and he can make a difference in you. You're going to have to figure that one out. And that's all it was. It was simply not trying to win the case or win the argument, but to witness for Jesus Christ. That resolve shows up in a variety of places throughout history. One such character I was quite taken with, and, and it's a, if you're Presbyterian, you should know this name. If you're not, then here's your history lesson. Back in the 1500s, there was a Scottish reformer whose name was John Knox. He went to Geneva, Switzerland, to study with John Calvin. Now, that name ought to ring a bell somewhere in theological archives in your mind. He particularly consulted with him on matters pertaining to opposing government given over to idolatrous religion. Uh, this is a church-sponsored, church-state-imposed uh, religious over into the political kind of thing. Anyway, so that was a part of their discussion. In 1559, this is 50 years later, he goes back to Scotland and boldly declares, again, this is state church kind of stuff, that the Catholic Mass was idolatry and that all Catholic churches and monasteries should be closed. So he's 
putting his mouth right up there in terms of stating, this is what I believe. And, and it doesn't go down real well. The Queen of Scotland had Knox arrested for treason. But fortunately, the court acquitted him. It was said of John Knox, and here's the phrase, he feared God so much that he never feared the face of any man. That's resolve. He feared God so much that he never feared the face of any man. John Knox had the same commitment to the truth that the early church had. He was in the same mold as the apostles Peter and John. Another quote given to him, to John Knox, is his heart of prayer for his world, his Scotland. And the language of it says, the quote goes, give me Scotland or I die. Give me Scotland or I die. And the passion and resolve that was part. It was the difference that Jesus made. In Acts 5, we'll run into shortly, Peter and the apostles make it clear, we must obey God rather than men. There is a difference that Jesus makes in your life and mine. At least it ought to be a difference. And it's not something you can manufacture. It's not something you can get from going and attending X number of classes and seminars or whatever. It's only found through spending time with Jesus. I, I, uh, we live such hectic lives. Our, uh, we are just so cotton-picking busy with a variety of things. Uh, uh, the, the pace of people around, the pace of children, grandchildren, in doing and being involved in a gazillion things takes my breath away sometimes. And they've been so busy that they don't have time to just be children. They don't have time to just enjoy a little bit of life it's go, 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 go. And you can, you can have that with your work as well. You can be so busy, busy uh, 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 that, that if, you, if you do not make the time and take the time to be with Jesus, you run the risk of simply going through the motions and being a good Christian person, but not really growing in depth of character, depth of fruit of the Spirit, of the quality of life God loves to give to us if we'll only spend time with him. Sometimes you can hang around somebody and uh, there can be phrases that uh, you, you pick up because, because you're hanging around them. Um, there was one guy in our church up in New York State, uh, the first church we were at as a solo pastor, and he had all these wonderful phrases. Uh, I, I was just taking a look, and I found myself repeating those phrases. Not that I always subscribed to them, uh, but but I found they were catchy phrases. Here's one. Here's one. Hank Hank Benson was his name, and Hank would say, "Talk is cheap, but it takes money to buy whiskey." And I I I tried to figure that one out. You know what does that mean? You know, talk is cheap, but it takes money to buy whiskey. And I suppose that could be kind of like put up or shut up type thing. You know, kind of thing. Uh, Something happens, and uh, something pretty good, and he says, well, that's better than a poke in the eye with a sharp stick. And I think, oh, those kinds of strange phrases, you know, that kind of thing. 
he, he was in, in construction industry and did some accounting kind of stuff. And he would say, figures don't lie, but liars do figure. You know, just all these little cute little turns of phrases that he would use to describe some things in life. Uh, sometimes people could tell that I was hanging around with Hank because I would start to express some of those phrases. Well, you know what you say, you know, that kind of thing. I'm wondering if people would notice that I've been around with Jesus like I was hanging around with Hank, where he rubs off on me. Jesus rubs off on me. And I dare say that what Jesus rubs off on me is a whole lot better than what Hank would rub off on me, bless his heart. The Jesus difference. Oh, here's the, here's the question. Do people see the difference that being with Jesus makes in you? Do they see the courage you have in him? Do they see the humble resolve of one whose absolute confidence comes from hanging out with Jesus? Your only hope in standing against a world bent on taking you down is to discover the place of connectedness with Jesus that enables you to stand. And that is the Jesus difference. And that's the difference that he needs to make in your life and mine as we purpose to simply be witness of the things we have seen and heard as well. Now, the believers are not done praying yet. The next week, we're going to find them at the primary work again. Not the first time, not the last time. You'll find another recorded prayer. And what's in this prayer for next week is powerful. So look ahead a little bit, if you wish, and then come and join us next week as we see continuing what the Jesus difference makes as they press into the primary work of prayer again. We pause and pay for prayer. Um, I don't know where you're at in the journey today. Uh, perhaps for you, this issue of encountering Christ by faith has been something you've settled long ago. Maybe it's something you're still struggling with or wrestling with or wondering about. And all I would say this morning is that if you have not discovered the difference that Jesus can make in your life, we would love to give you the opportunity to find out more about what that means to follow Jesus. And whether it's someone you came with or someone in whom you might have confidence today to talk with, to be clear about the truth of verse 12 of Acts 4, that there is salvation in no other name than the name of Jesus. That's the most important decision that you would ever make that will result in the Jesus difference in you. So, Father, you know where each one of us are at today in the journey. Um, it's possible that we could all have come to that place where we've accepted Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. And we've allowed him to start a work in us. There's still a lot of work to do. We, we acknowledge that. We confess that. But we start. And we trust you to finish or complete what you've started. But maybe 
we're reminded today that being with you is the important piece and the difference that you can make in our life. So help us to uh, make the appropriate steps toward you as we seek to follow you more and more. Well, thank you for what you'll do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to sing a song as we close today and just be open to what Spirit of God will whisper to your heart as we worship him together. Thank you, Father, that your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the great chain breaker. There's nothing that can hold us down that is beyond the power of his ability to create all the change that's needed in us. We ask you, Father, that you would uh, affirm to our hearts the truth of your word today. And as we meditate on that, help us to be very open to the whispers of your spirit, to follow you with all of our heart, with, with, with the power, with the resolve, with the courage, all that was needed and is needed for us. Thank you for the opportunity to gather in today. We bless your name for your goodness. Thank you for the privilege of worship together. Now we get to go outside of the four walls of this building and serve you. So may there be a fragrance of Jesus upon us as we go. And this week, may we only cultivate that uh, fragrance of Jesus as we spend time with you. For what you'll do, we'll thank you and give you praise. All God's people say, Amen and amen. Go in his grace. Be sure you greet one another as you go.